Good morning, church. I pray you are all well this morning. It is good to see all your smiling faces. This morning, we will continue our study in the book of Philippians. We will be in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, or Paul's call to the church in Philippi and to Christians throughout ages and generations to come to be lights in a dark, dark world. Now this comes right on the heels of what Sam preached on last week, and if you weren't here last week, or you do not remember exactly what that was, it was summarized and is summarized quite well in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 7, where Paul says we are to do nothing from rivalry or with conceit, But in humility, we are to count others as more significant than ourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And to have this mind amongst ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God, did not take equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a man." Following the example of Christ is what we have been called to do. We are to not think too highly of ourselves, but instead we are to humbly serve each other so that God be glorified. But modeling this Christ-like humility, it does not come naturally to us. It is not easy for us to model Christ-like humility. Humility. I heard a joke in preparing for the sermon about a man who received a promotion to the position of vice president of the company for which he worked. Unfortunately, though, the promotion went to his head, and for weeks on end, he bragged to anyone and to everyone that he was now the new vice president. But his bragging came to an abrupt halt. When his wife, so embarrassed by his behavior, said, Listen, Bob, it is not that big of a deal. This time, everyone is a vice president. Why, we even have a vice president of peas down at the supermarket. Somewhat flabbergasted, Bob rang the local supermarket to find out if this was true. Can I speak to the vice president of peas, please? He asked. To which the reply came, would you like to speak with the vice president of the fresh peas or the frozen peas? Again, humility does not come naturally to us. And yet, if that is the case, how are we to model, how are we to display the humble mind of Christ to serve others and to be lights in this world? Well, I have good news this morning, church, and it takes us to our thesis this morning, the main theme of our message this morning, that God not only gives his children the grace they need for eternal salvation, but that God also gives his children the grace they need to grow in the humble likeness of Christ so that they can be lights in a dark world and bring glory to his name. 
God not only gives us the grace we need for eternal salvation, but God also gives his children the grace they need to grow in the humble likeness of Christ so that they can be lights in a dark world and bring glory to his name. Our text this morning is from Philippians chapter 2. We will be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. It is found on page 981 in your pew Bible. I would highly recommend following along with the text this morning. Again, we are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the text this morning. Father, we thank you that it is ultimately you who works in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Father, I pray that you encourage us, that you empower us for all the tasks that you want us to do so that we bring glory to your name. Conform us, Lord, to the image of your Son and let us not be boastful about it, but depend wholeheartedly on your grace. Father, I pray for help this morning to be faithful to this text Help my lisping, stammering tongue, I pray. Be with these dear children of yours. Give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that it is receptive to your truth. Father, please let us be lights in this world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep it nice and simple this morning. We have two key points that we will be looking at. And we will spend the majority of our time in point two this morning. But we will start with point one. God gives his children the grace they need to grow in the humble likeness of Christ. Verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we see in the beginning, he says to his church in Philippi, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
He's writing to this church saying, you have always been faithful. You have been so zealous in obeying the apostles' teaching, both when I was there and preaching when I started this church, and even when I left, you have been zealous and faithful to keep the apostles' teaching. And then we stumble upon two phrases in the text that seem almost dichotomous to each other, disjointed, as if they don't agree with each other. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He calls this church, work out your own salvation, and it's God who works in you. And when reading that at face value, you may be sitting there this morning thinking, well, which one is it? Some might be sitting there thinking, I thought we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What is this working out our own salvation? And some may be sitting there thinking, well, this is downright confusing. But in reality, this is one of the most comforting couple of verses in the Bible for the believer. And why is that? Because it confirms that God, through his grace, will conform and shape his children into the image of Jesus Christ. Dr. Thomas Constable puts it this way. He says, God does not and has not worked because man has worked. No, the contrary is true. Because God works and has worked, therefore man must and now can work. When we stumble upon this work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, remember the audience, the context who Paul is writing to. He is writing to a church filled with Christians in Philippi who have already been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He is not writing to non-Christians, telling them to work out their salvation, telling them to earn it. But he's writing to the Christian who has been saved by faith saying, work out your own salvation, Christian. Meaning, apply your salvation to every aspect of your life. It is a picture of the progressive work of sanctification in our life. He's saying, Christian, grow in your obedience to Christ. When we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, who makes us new creations in Christ. But the Holy Spirit, church, he does not stop there because it's God who works in you then, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the Spirit who continues to give us the grace we need presently in the here and now to apply our faith to apply our salvation via the way we conform to the image of Jesus Christ, via our perseverance in this world, and the way we are obedient to Christ's commands. We are called to apply our salvation, but it's God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And there is a beautiful illustration of this in John chapter 9 where it is God who is ultimately working in man, but yet man is still called to obey the words and the commands of God. In John chapter 9, it says, As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. 
Many of you may know the story already. And Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the blind man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, who, see, who healed this man? Obviously, we don't think that the man who went and followed the obedience of Christ healed himself. As James Kaufman pointed out, although no one can deny that the blind man would not have been healed without doing what Christ commanded, that did not make him his own healer. Christ healed this man, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when Jesus answered his disciples' question as to why this man was born blind, Jesus' response was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The work of our obedience, the work of our sanctification, applying our salvation to life, church, it is not for the sluggard. It is not for the lazy. It is not for the loaf. It takes discipline to read and to study and to memorize the scriptures. It takes effort to avoid the temptations of this immoral world. It takes courage to boldly pray and to evangelize with a stranger in public. But take heart this morning, church, because just as God has given you the grace you need to have faith in Jesus Christ, he also gives us the grace needed to excite us, to empower us, and to drive us to apply our salvation to every aspect of our life. So like the man that was healed, so that the work of God might be displayed in us. So that the work of God might be displayed in us, church. To God be the glory for that. Which takes us now into part two, where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. As Christians who have already been given the gift of salvation, Paul here in these following verses, verses he offers instructions and displays how we can apply our salvation, how we can work out our salvation in our everyday life. Verses 14 through 18. Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Remember from our context this morning, what was preached on last week, Christians, we have been called to have the servant driven mind of Christ, 
to count others as more significant than ourselves. And in light of that, we read here that we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Because you see, when we grumble, meaning we complain or we protest to ourselves, or when we dispute, argue in a heated or irritable way, the root sin, the cause of the grumbling or the cause of the disputing, as Mark Dugan puts it, is that man is still preoccupied with the self and not with his submission to Christ or his service to others, a.k.a. pride. A concept of thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking too highly of our own opinions, thinking too highly of our own thoughts or our own preferences. Lovingly, church, I share this this morning. If you want to look like a crooked and twisted generation, if that is your goal this morning, then make sure you grumble and complain and argue and dispute everything. And I promise you will fit right in with a crooked and twisted generation. If you do not like any of the decisions that the church leadership is making, dispute them. And do it in a testy and sarcastic fashion. I promise you'll look just like the world. If the direction of one of the church ministries here isn't up to snuff in your opinion, create a verbal controversy over it. And you will look just like a crooked and twisted generation. If you don't like the preaching, if you don't like the music, the order of service, if it's too formal, if it's too informal, get as hot and angry as you can. Let the church leaders, let the church members, let everyone hear it. And I promise you will look just like a crooked and twisted generation. And here is the problem with that. And again, I lovingly share this this morning with you because I care for your souls through eternity. Anybody who makes a practice of grumbling or disputing, Galatians 5 says if you make a practice of enmity or strife or jealousy or fits of angers or rivalries or dissensions or divisions or envy or drunkenness or orgies or things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your Lord is your own agenda... If your Lord this morning is your own opinions, if your Lord this morning is your own power, you are worshiping at the altar of self and not at the altar of Christ. And non-Christian, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Thus, I plead with you this morning, if you see the practice of grumbling or disputing in your life, turn from this idolatry, turn from this sin, and submit yourselves to the only one who can cleanse you of this sin, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, so that you can be lights in this dark, dark world. But brother Christian, sister Christian, 
We have been saved by the blood of Christ. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ. Thus, we have been called, we have been empowered to not act like a crooked and twisted generation with grumbling and a practice of consistent disputing, but we instead are called to apply our salvation, display our salvation, work out our own salvation so that we can shine as lights in the world. In preparing for the sermon this morning, I read a story in which there was no author that could be found, but the story was about a man who was sitting by a window in his house, admiring the night sky, when suddenly a man passed by. He was a lamplighter, and it was his job to push his pole up into the lamp and to light it. And then he would go to another lamp, and then to another. Now, due to the dark night sky, it was nearly impossible to see the lamplighter out the window. But you knew where the lamplighter was by the lamps he lit as they broke out down the street. Because one by one, he left a beautiful avenue of light. It was the lamplighter's business to light the lamps and not to make himself seen, but for the world to take notice of his light. Church, we do not need to seek to be seen. We do not need to seek to be noticed or glorified by man. But we have been called to humble ourselves and shine so that humanity may see the true light Jesus Christ. The man sitting by his window knew where the lamp lighter was by the light as they broke out. Church, can people tell where you are by the light you give off in this world? Can they tell who you seek to glorify with your life? Jesus Christ in his Sermon on the Mount told his disciples that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven how do we apply our salvation how do we apply our faith to our everyday light brother Christian, sister Christian we let the crooked and twisted world around us see the eternal hope the eternal joy we have in Jesus Christ by humbling ourselves our willingness to serve others through our compassionate and persuasive way we share the gospel message and the supernatural way we love each other and we love those around the world. So that in the face of the world, a world that absolutely despises us, 
they can see the one who saved us, Jesus Christ, as the only true light. It is our call that we seek to glorify him and showcase his light to the entire world. But Paul goes on in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of light so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Church, we will naturally shine and we will naturally look vastly different from the world if we hold fast. Excuse me. Church, we will naturally shine and look vastly different from the world if we hold fast to the word of light. Meaning if we hold fast to the gospel if we hold fast to the word of God and we submit and follow it with all zeal and with all passion. Now there is some debate here concerning the translation of the Greek word apeho, which is what we get for holding fast. Some translations say that we are to hold fast the word of life, meaning cling to, believe, trust in the gospel, And some of your translations this morning says that we are to hold forth the word of light, meaning proclaim the gospel. My humble thoughts on the matter is this. No matter what, anything we truly hold fast to, anything we cling cling to, anything we put our focus on, anything we desire, we are naturally going to hold it forth. We are naturally then going to proclaim it. Thus, if we truly love the gospel, if we cling to the gospel, if we desire the gospel more than anything else in our lives, then we are naturally going to share the gospel. There is going to be an outpouring of this message to others because everyone holds fast to and everyone holds forth something. Everyone holds fast to and everyone holds forth something. Bible scholar F.F. Bruce says that it's impossible to avoid advocating some point of view. So why not admit the fact that our time would be best spent in promoting God's point of view? No one will take our message seriously if the way we live our life is at variance with it. But if we lived in such a way that our neighbors asked, What enabled them to lead such lives? Then we can tell them of the word of life that has revolutionized our attitudes and our conduct. Either we submit ourselves to the word of God and hold fast to and hold forth Christ, or we delight in our own pride and we hold fast to, and we hold forth the self. And it is the exact opposite of what Paul exhibited and what he has called Christians to do. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you, should, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, whether you had a clear understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system, or whether you were simply a pagan walking around in Greco-Roman culture, you knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. When Paul says he is willing to be poured out as a drink offering, was that he was humbly and zealously willing to lay down everything, including his life, for the spread of the gospel. So that the individuals in Philippi and individuals throughout the world could hear the gospel message. They could repent. And as he writes in Romans 12, by the mercies of God, they too can present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is their spiritual worship. Paul was willing to give it all up for the sake of the gospel. And he writes to this church, he says, and I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, don't pity me for a second. I have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I have been given the gift of eternal salvation. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul is willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel, for the growth of the gospel. He is willing to suffer well for the gospel, to let his manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Are we, church, are we willing to let the manner of our life be worthy of the gospel message in the way we shine in this dark, dark world? and the way we follow the gospel in this dark, dark world, and the way we proclaim it in this dark, dark world? Are we willing to let the manner of our life be worthy of the gospel? As we close this morning, and I admit it might be a little longer of a closing than usual, We will begin this morning by addressing the non-Christian that has listened to me ramble for some 30 minutes. You may be sitting there this morning, non-Christian, thinking, what type of brainwashing happens when you become a Christian? I have heard you are to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. You are to be light in a dark world, run counter to a world that despises you. Paul, this character, he's willing to be poured out, literally be killed for the growth of the gospel. Why would anyone be faithful to this calling? And the reason is, non-Christian, it is because our God, the one true and living God, he came into this world. He humiliated himself to the point of flesh to save sinners from their sins. Our sin has separated us 
for eternity with God. It has incurred God's wrath. We deserve his judgment. And in order to save sinners from their sins, God literally came into this world as man, as Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life, making him a perfect and spotless sacrifice for the sins of the children of God. And he was crucified. He took our place. The wrath that we deserve for our sins, Jesus Christ took our place. And he died. And he was buried. And yet to showcase that he truly was God without sin, that he has defeated sin and defeated death once and for all, three days later, he rose from the grave. Why would anyone be faithful to this call? Because we, non-Christian, have a God. We have a shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Thus I pray, non-Christian, that today is the day that you acknowledge your sin, that there is a sense, a sense of guilt that comes over you and you are moved to repent this morning and you turn to Jesus Christ who is the one, the only one who not only forgives you of your sin but clothes you in his righteousness reconciling you back to God through eternity. It is the only means of eternal life. It is the only means of eternal joy. It is the only means of eternal peace with your God. I pray today is the day that you trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and your reconciliation back into the family of God through eternity. And now to the Christian that is here this morning. We started this morning with the thesis that God not only gives his children the grace they need for eternal salvation, but he also gives his children the grace they need to grow in the humble likeness of Christ so that they can be light in a dark world and bring glory to his name. And you may be sitting there this morning, Christian, thinking well, I'm already saved. What's exactly my motivation? What is my reasoning for this undertaking? It seems kind of uncomfortable at times. It seems kind of hard. It could be embarrassing. We started this morning with one word in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that I purposefully skipped over until now. It is the word, therefore. And it refers back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to paraphrase, that goes something like this. That because Jesus Christ emptied himself, because he took the form of a servant, because he humbled himself, because he was obedient to God the Father, even to the point of death. Because of that, verse 9 says that God has highly exalted Christ. And the argument here, as John Piper puts it so eloquently, if we are willing to trust in the gospel then, 
If we are willing to submit ourselves to Christ, to humble ourselves for his sake of obedience and the spread of the gospel, then we too, as heirs with Christ, will be exalted with him through eternity. In Luke 18, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Quick context, the Jews saw tax collectors as traitors because they gathered money for Rome and for Roman power, whereas they saw Pharisees as holy men because of their devotion and adherence to the law. So the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs with Christ brother Christian, sister Christian, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus Christ, the God of this world, he humbled himself into human flesh. Christian, are you willing to humble yourself consistently to repent to others who you offend? Jesus Christ, the God of this world, humbled himself in serving the lames, binding the wounds of the brokenhearted. Are we, church, humbly willing to serve children and families in our school districts that go hungry on the weekends? Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death for the forgiveness of sins. Are we willing to humble ourselves and to risk embarrassment to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a neighbor? But Wes, it's kind of inconvenient. It's a little humiliating at times. What is my motivation? Romans 8.18 For I can consider the suffering of this present time, any humiliation, any embarrassment for the sake of the gospel, it is not worth comparing to the glory we will see when we were with God in eternity. For I consider the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it is my prayer that we as a church body, saved by the blood of Christ, that we grow in Christ-likeness, humbling ourselves in the way we serve others. 
that we put our preferences aside so we avoid grumbling or disputing within this body and with a mind focused on being an imitator of God, we let our actions, we let our lights boldly and brilliantly and blazingly radiate to God be the glory. Because the humiliation, the embarrassing, the embarrassment, any suffering we might face now for the gospel, it is not worth comparing to the glory we will see with God when we are in paradise through eternity. It is God who works in you, church, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray.